Hello, everybody. Welcome back into your latest episode of Locked On Suns, part of Locked On Podcast Network. Today's always your host, Evan Setter, and joined by co host, Brennan Clean. You can follow me on Twitter at EastSetter. You can follow Burn on Twitter at BrennanQueen14. And also, if you haven't already, go ahead and follow our Locked On Suns Twitter page at Locked On PHX Suns. Your support over there is very much appreciated, as always. We're joining us here a little bit after the final score of tonight's Phoenix Suns home game, where they lost in the Memphis Grizzlies 121 to 114 in a game where just so many peaks and valleys and inconsistencies burning. Another night where the Suns fell behind pretty far, 19 points at one point, and the Suns routed all the way back to three, but it was too little too late at that point. And we, this is a consistent thing that we've been talking about on the show the past few weeks, and it keeps rearing its head over and over again. I mean, a terrible consistency, lack of consistency, inconsistency, whatever you want to call it. It is. Uh it's becoming the defining characteristic of the Suns team, I think, and uh, the last two games showed that, and it's just kind of the way that they performed almost makes it the, the playoffs, and that, that discussion almost seems secondary to getting things right here and figuring out whatever was going on early in the season, how to even get back to 75% of that in terms of uh, consistency and identity and things like that. It's... Uh, it's you know it might sound weird to be so negative after an eight point win and a, a seven point loss, but I think it was just a lot of more of the same things that were happening even when they were losing, and it's just not gonna not gonna work long term. Yeah, as you mentioned, we're gonna cover a little bit of both of as far as the next game and the Grizzlies game. Let's start off um, here just just for it's fresh on my mind here because they just got back from the game, but the Grizzlies that game, Brennan, what was your overall takeaways from that one? Because obviously Devin Booker, we're going to talk about a lot in this first seven because he is on fire right now from the field. He had 40 points tonight, 13-20 from the field, averaging 34 and a half points per game over his last six games, really making an all-star push. But what's been your, what was your thoughts overall on this type of game against Memphis where you really, like we t- talked about the start of the show, you just squander away a good opportunity here? Yeah, I mean, it was, I think with the Grizzlies game, it was a finally a good start. They really haven't had strong first quarters over the past few weeks, and even when they had a you know decent road trip two and two, and then beat the Knicks at home, a lot of those games they were fighting from behind throughout. And this was one where it felt like, okay, well, the second half's been great for this team, and so if they're up four after the first quarter, that's a, a great sign. And then they get outscored both of the next two quarters and and they go into the fourth quarter, I think down double digits, if I am doing the math correctly. Um, It's just, I think a lot of things contribute to that. And I think the main one, the one we were talking about a a moment ago before we hit the, the record button was it took a grand total of one game for the problems with that Aaron Baines, DeAndre Ayton lineup, which I think is probably the other bigger big storyline from this weekend's games took one game to realize that that's just maybe going to be untenable and we might already be in for another change I just think especially if Baines is is this version as a shooter rather than the guy the 40% guy early in the year then it's just not a lineup that that really seems like it's going to work yeah, totally agree with you there. We're going to definitely hit more on the Aiton Baines comment because I think that really caught everyone off guard when that was announced before the Knicks game. And obviously it had good results in that first game, but it's at, at just a small sample size. And we saw again tonight, maybe this is what the real results are with an Aaron Baines, DeAndre Ayton combo. But let's get off to our free throws from this weekend here, Brennan. Going one and one on the stretch, that Knicks win, the comeback victory over New York, then this loss tonight against Memphis. 
I think the easy answer here for my first free throw is Devin Booker. Over the last two games, Brendan, 38 points on 50, 52% shooting. And then tonight against Memphis, 40 points on 65% shooting. I tally that up just stretching back the last week or so. I don't think there's a player hotter in the NBA as far as scoring goes on just such high efficiency right now than Devin Booker. No, I mean, I think that's probably one we can spend a little bit of time on because, it, it, I mean, who, who wouldn't pick that as the positive here? I think just what he's doing uh, from just especially from two-point range, and I, I, like, I don't even mean to wade into the waters of debating the mid-range thing that Eddie Johnson has been taking up as his purpose in life on Twitter lately, but I, I just, to look at it, it's an, it's really just incredible. Forget about the shot selection, but the shot making. Uh, he's fifty six percent from two this year. Uh, not I mean, not many guys in the league take the level of difficulty shots that he make takes as many of them as he's taking. Twelve point nine per game. Uh, Twelve point nine per thirty six minutes. I guess he's averaging thirty six minutes. So, and does it so consistently it's just been breathtaking really I mean it, it feels like every year we we say oh this is the culmination of his little things he's added to his game each and every season oh this season now look at these things he's added he's putting it all together I think the reality is this guy is incredibly skilled he's one of the best shot makers in the NBA and he he has enough talent around him that we're finally starting to see what it looks like when he has a little bit of space, a little bit of playmaking around him, even though it's not much some nights. Uh, and and just this stretch has been the perfect example now, six straight 30-point games. That's a franchise record and probably one of the best stretches of his career. Yeah, absolutely. I would definitely agree that they're on one of his best stretch because I don't remember it just being this efficient either. I know there was a stretch in his third and second year too where he just had some monster back-to-back outings, but it wasn't at this amount of efficiency here. I think that's the big part of Booker just from a general standpoint this year, Brandon. We've seen him more talented teammates, maybe just also Booker taking a leap himself, which I think is an obvious answer there too. I think Booker is becoming a much more efficient player. I mean, we see the, the true shooting percentage here. He's above 60% still, and he, I don't think he's going to come down even bef- really below that throughout the season here with him having these good nights. I know the three-pointer is not there. He's been really rough from three the last couple weeks, but putting up these numbers on high volume, like you mentioned as well, Brennan, it's it just so impressed me just how efficient he's been. Yeah, uh, 62 true shooting percentage is just wild for a guy that's near 30% usage. I mean, I know that Obviously, the the end goal here is still to win these games, but uh, <laughs> there's not much more he can be doing, I think. And you know, Grizzlies game tonight, only two turnovers. That's great to see. Only four the night before, so uh, he's he's been more careful with the ball recently. Especially, I think that was one of the huge reasons they lost that Lakers game. Not to get into another game there, but. He's, he's cleaned that up over the past couple games here. And so, I, I mean, I think he's just in a groove, probably unlike anything he's felt in a long time. But what is your second free throw here? I would say my second free throw is another player here over the stretch. And we saw it, especially against Memphis tonight and important stretches of the game when the Baines and combo wasn't working. But also against New York, we saw some really good stretches too. And that's Mikhail Bridges, who really wasn't in my good graces the first month or two of the season because it's, the offense wasn't clicking with his defense. That maintained on some nights, but just offensively now he's becoming more aggressive. We're seeing as well defensively 12 points, five rebounds, three assists, and three steals, and a block shot. I think it's really impressive for Mikhail in that stretch. Yeah, I think defensively for him, 
Uh, I mean, that's obviously always going to be the key. Um, Monty pointed to after the Knicks game last night that he, or on Friday night, that he, he, they needed him to, of all guys, to shut down Marcus Morris in the fourth quarter, which uh, if Marcus Morris is an issue, I, I think that's not the best sign, but he's one of the Knicks' better scorers, obviously one of their better shooters, and he had it going a little bit. And, and I think Monty just has the trust in him that if there's a guy going like that, you put Mikhail in and, and that guy's not going to be going for much longer. Um, you know, there's players he struggles with, of course, but that that has become pretty consistent as far as a stopper. And, and he has the team defensive aspect, of course, that he's always had. So I think clearly the best defender on this team right now. And while the offense isn't always going to be pretty, I think he finds ways night in and night out to impact the game on that end, even if it's not always through his shot making. He's a great passer great ball mover within the offense and you know hit a three in that fourth quarter run against Memphis to bring them within three or four points so um, I think that the offense you know it's it's doing enough right now where overall he's a huge positive he was a plus 10 against New York and we were talking a little bit before I mean it kind of seems like the the next step in that starting lineup might be to bring him in and just kind of go small. Yeah, I think that's what definitely makes the most sense at this point because Mikhail gives you that two-way presence. Him and Kelly Oubre work really well together. I think we're seeing a big enough sample size now to confirm that. And especially with Devin Booker and DeAndre out there, you're going to be switching a lot with those two guys on defense. And adding in Mikhail, I think, just brings you that identity even more. And if he can shoot the ball from three more consistently, I think he's going to be a very valuable piece in that starting lineup, to be honest. But what are your two free throws from tonight's game, Brennan? Yeah, I mean, Booker, Booker was the first one. If I mean, it, it just can't really ignore him so we dove deep on him I would say my second one um as as difficult as it is to kind of overlook the Memphis game it feels kind of like a tale of two games separate stories here with these games but I would say that I do think that it's something that I think I said last Monday episode when we recapped the the prior two games in Sacramento and Golden State but it's continued, and I think that they've just done a good job of effectively selecting when they're going to run, and I think Rubio deserves a lot of credit for that. I think, you know, whether it's after makes, knowing kind of when to, to jumpstart things, Booker's just gotten – one of the ways he's gotten his points too is just he's gotten so good at those leak outs. There was another one during that comeback in the fourth quarter where they almost tied it up again where he just outran Jay Crowder, just sprinted past the guy, and – that's, I mean, that that's its own thing, but little plays here and there. I think that they're just becoming a smarter transition, smarter fast break team, and uh, it's it's not just Rubio, but obviously Rubio is a huge part of it. Yeah, I would certainly, as far as that goes, like that's a really good point to bring up there because that's really where the Suns, when they're at their best and they're humming at full speed offensively, and really just helps momentum on both ends of the court doing that and. If the Suns could do that, they'd probably win more games like we saw against New York, but that kind of wasn't a factor against some of his Grizzlies. So like you mentioned, Brandon, a tale of two nights for the Suns here. But before we go on to our next segment, diving more to the negatives, as our free throws we like to call it, or flagger thoughts we like to call them on the show, I want to tell you guys about a new sponsor of the show, and we appreciate the sponsor of the show, the Arizona Office of Tourism, their spring training. This spring, fall your ferry baseball teams to Arizona for Cactus League spring training. Amazing weather and landscapes, exciting outdoor adventure, incredible food. Arizona is the perfect home base for baseball fans. Follow your ferry baseball teams around. There's 10 stadiums, 15 MLB teams, 
all in great temperature, 75 degree weather. It's never really that hot that time of the year in early March, late February. So you're really a good time if you want to do this. There's a great restaurants around there. I know the Cubs have a good spot over in Mesa. There's another one out in Goodyear. It's really sprinkled all around town in the Arizona area. And that's why the, the, the state of Arizona is really known for the spring training baseball. And incredible landscapes, thrilling outdoor adventures. You can hit the road, see urban ghost centers, ghost towns, some artsy communities too, hiking, biking, Jeep tours. If you're an Arizona resident, you guys already know this because Arizona is one of the more underrated states in the country, I feel like, even still. But if you're bringing your kids along to spring training this year for some baseball, you want to see any of your favorite MLB teams in action, make sure to stop by and visit the Arizona tourism spots because there's definitely the best place to go. And plan your spring training getaway at visitarizona.com slash spring training. Again, that is visitarizona.com slash spring training. All right, Brent, let's dive into our flagrant fouls from the last few weekends. I'll give you the four here to start. Whew. I mean, it's to me the, the the topics we hit at the very top of the show. I think the the inconsistency, the, the lack of energy, the lack of execution. I mean, uh, you were telling me I hadn't even seen it. I was driving home while the aftermath of the game was unfolding, but um, – if you could just recreate the scene for everybody where Monty Williams kind of seemed to, he seems fed up. He seems like all of us watching this team and just not having an explanation for why it's not there over and over again over the past month or two. Yeah, Dwayne Rankin uh, asked his first question of the night here to Monty Williams as he walked in for his postgame press conference. But instead of fielding questions, Monty kind of cut off Dwayne as he was starting his question and really you could tell at the point just Monty was so frustrated because just these nights were so consistent. Like we talked about on the show today and he, he walked in and pretty much cut off Dwayne and said, if we keep having nights like these where it's peaks and valleys, some good nights here, bad nights there, not following the game plans consistently. If you're not able to follow a game plan consistently, you're not, you're not going to have consistent nights in the NBA. And Monty kind of hammered that point home and mentioned that just they have to follow the game plan better. You have to be smarter and you have to be more within your zone as far as the game plan goes. And, he kind of hammered that point home in about a 30-second statement and walked out of the room, and that kind of gave you the vibe as far as how the night went for Monty Williams, for sure. Yeah, I can't imagine. If that's what he, if that's how he answered a question from the media, I can't even imagine uh, how disappointed and frustrated he must have come across to his team in the locker room, you know, and I, they've earned that, right? They've earned the disappointment, and they've earned the frustration on the part of the coaching staff. They've and then just this team, they've lost to this Memphis team who is, I mean, they're great. I'm excited to, to watch them grow as a team and, and they're better than I thought and all that. But you don't lose to that team twice at home in three weeks. And, and I mean, that's, that's as good of an encapsulation as any. You don't go down 10 to the Knicks. The Knicks are bad. The Knicks are awful. Um, and so it's not a surprise to me that this stretch of games here would would be, you know, and not to mention the the Lakers game, which is about as embarrassing as it gets to go down nearly 40 points in the first half of an NBA game. So uh, I totally understand it. And I think anyone who's followed this team for any amount of time, your nose starts to turn up. You start to get a little uh, nervous, I guess, of things, stretches like this. I know they've won three of five, but looking bigger picture, the past two, three months, stretches like this are where things start to, uh, jump to the panic button a little bit. And I don't think, you know, most of the time that has meant people get fired. I don't think we're in that possible range right now by any means. I don't expect a firing, but I do think it could be a time where 
the trades we've all been talking about and wondering and imagining, it, maybe those do get pushed up a little bit here and, and they do try to shuffle the deck because what they have now, no matter how many lineup changes or rotation changes they've made, it's it's not getting better. Yeah, I really think it, that trade makes the most sense here. And I wanted to hit on this before I dive into my flagrant foul for a second. Really, honestly, it will be my flagrant foul. Is the rotation change that Monty Williams made recently over the weekend. Aaron Baines and DeAndre, I know how they're really solid first night with against the New York Knicks, their big team they brought up there with Bobby Portis, Julius Randle, Mitchell Robinson. You have a, a lot of bigs on that team, of course, because the Knicks kind of jumbled their roster in that sort of odd manner. But it worked that one night. But then against Memphis, a more modern-based team, we have Brandon Clark, Jaron Jackson, some stretch bigs out there. You have John Moran attacking ball handler. I think it kind of shows the flaws in that combination, especially playing eight at the four, which we talked about in the offseason, hopefully as a joke. And we're actually seeing at this point that DeAndre Ayn is a starting power forward right now in the NBA. And that's not what we wanted to hear when he was drafted number one overall to be a center in the NBA. And I, I also wanted to point out the rotation that Monty Williams changed as far as Dario Saric. I know he's been really hot and cold this year. We've mentioned that's kind of who he is at this point. But playing him only four minutes, then six minutes, and it went increasingly down anymore from 20 to 18 minutes. I don't understand how Dario went to the doghouse. I don't know what's going on there unless that he is getting shot for trades and you just can't play him much at all. That's where I'm going at this point because I don't really know why it's so severe that Dario's played 10 minutes in the last two games combined. Cam Johnson, too, only 12 minutes. I believe he only played 18 minutes the other night, too. I think Cam needs to get more more playing time, too, because he shows his floor spacing value when he's hitting his shots and I think Cam deserves at least a 20-25 minute per game role currently with this rotation. So that's kind of a, a jumbled up, a long rant from my point of view. But as far as the flagrant foul goes, I, I think the Baines-Aiton combo we already know is going to be a big flaw. But also why in the world is Dario and, and Cam not playing as much? Yeah, it's it's a lot of a lot of change. I mean, just, just forgetting, almost like separating the results from the process here, it doesn't it's it's i know you know i just went on and on about the inconsistent effort and execution but i mean it, the, in the re, in, in reality this team has played 36 games and expecting uh a quick adjustment to such drastic rotation changes is it's just tough i mean to give people a little bit of insight i'm not going to pretend like i'm a, a mind reader here or anything but being at shoot around and then at the game Friday and then being at practice yesterday, this decision did catch the players off guard. And I don't mean that in a negative way. No, nobody was, you know, crapping on it, but it was something, you know, they, Monty was open about the fact that they never had practiced with those two guys playing together like that with the starters, um, you know, hadn't run their primary sets with Baines or with Aiton at the four, hadn't really done any of that we had seen that lineup in spurts but not to start games and not as a primary package for them you know guys like Mikhail Bridges Devin Booker Ricky Rubio basically no one said that they expected it and it was a conversation between Monty Williams and James Jones and then with Monty and his coaching staff and everybody was on board there it's it's not a negative by uh, by any means what I'm saying but uh, to expect an, an adaptation that quickly I think is just really a lot and especially at the expense of players who had despite being you know somewhat streaky potentially been two of your most consistent you know over the course of the whole season players in Dario and Cam and and so just all of it at on the sum the process of it I think it was bound to to cause 
problems and you know and then the fact that it doesn't work on the court especially is is just tough and predictable as well I mean DeAndre Ayton can't guard Jaron Jackson Jr. and especially to see it when they're we, the point of it is to have defense and size on the floor and Jonas Valanciunas goes off for 30 uh something went wrong I know he shot three threes and that's not always his game and it's a little bit he didn't just bang inside for all those points but that's the guy you make this lineup change to stop and he goes and he goes off so it's not even working in terms of what they wanted out of it I think it changes I don't think they go for it next next game against the Kings but uh just from all angles now it it just doesn't seem like it was ever going to work and and the risk reward was was way skewed toward risk and I think we're seeing pretty much a worst case scenario of of the lack of chemistry with the lineups on in place and and just the lack of effectiveness of the the starting lineup with those two in there i know this is a point we'll probably hit on later in the week of course because there's going to be a lot of time and a lot of rumors going to be sorted out between the next month as we get closer and closer to the trade deadline but dario playing six minutes tonight four minutes against new york that's a total of 10 minutes the past two games where his role has been significantly dwindled down if you're dario brennan are you starting to feel a little worried that you might be getting shopped here soon are you worried i think you might be happy that you're getting shopped it's better than playing five minutes a game that's true. That is true. Yeah, <laughs> I think for you're, sure. you're worried that you didn't aren't being rewarded for your performance over the course of your season. Uh, that would be frustrating, of course. But you know, maybe trading is is the best thing for his future. He can't afford to ride the bench heading into free agency. He wants to show his value and earn that next contract. So uh, I think he'll definitely be somebody that, as you said, is the subject of a wide variety of rumors here over the next month but even sooner than that probably as teams see what's going on and and realize he might be gettable but like you said plenty of time to talk about all of that just really stark as far as how much he's just dropped off the the face of the earth in this rotation but let's close out the show with some stats to watch sort of frustrating that some of the stats to watch here you would think would be pretty positive despite the loss so we'll get into that but real quick a reminder wherever you have found our show spotify apple Podcasts, stitcher uh right side of the sun we love the support from everywhere the best way to keep up with us though go find a platform where you can stream podcasts and hit that subscribe button hit the follow button and everything we put out will be right there in your inbox right there in your feed when you check in and um every night we got more consistent with the releasing so Check your feed Monday through Friday, and we'll have an episode in there for you if you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. And if you like what you're hearing, review the show. Give us a five-star rating. Write a quick review out. It helps people find us, helps people know how much you like our show, and uh, we really appreciate it. So thank you, everybody who is listening. Those are just a couple ways you can't support the show. So as I was referencing a minute ago with the assist-to-turnover ratio, uh, or with the, the positive stats in a negative stretch here, it is that assist-to-turnover ratio. It's 53 assists over the past two games to 20 turnovers, which is pretty good. I mean, that's almost 2.5 to 1. It is more than 2.5 to 1. But again, despite, like I said, the pace kind of picking up, looking a little better, and Devin Booker being so efficient in the half court and things like that, it's it's still been... Uh, not what they wanted, barely beating the Knicks and then losing to the Grizzlies. So I think that what we're learning is that's pretty much static. This team's going to accomplish that most nights, as long as Rubio's healthy especially, but that's not enough for them to win games. 
No, absolutely it's not. And you you see just on those nights, especially, like, it's almost impossible for the Suns to win when that's happening, Brennan, because you just see how when that's not working for them, just for some reason it just feels like such a valuable tool for the Suns this year. And not having that go their way is just usually a sign of bad luck. Yeah, I and mean, I think even with it, though, obviously it hasn't, like, I, okay, so here's the thing. With, with the transition for me, um, and that's not obviously – their only assists are not just only coming in the fast break, but I think their transition defense hasn't been as strong and things like that. So just overall, it's like, even if they're getting that nice assist to turnover ratio, it's just, they can't rely on the ball movement to be enough. They they're still losing games because the defense and everything else isn't solid. So not to turn it into a negative, but um, it, it is just interesting to see that despite the disappointment of the past two games, they actually are checking some of the boxes as far as what they try to do statistically. Yeah, th- their style of play certainly hasn't changed much offensively, and that's a good sign just fundamentally that Monty Williams' style on that side of the ball is working. I don't know about defensively because we've seen that really crater off here the last month or, or so, but I think my stat to watch actually, Brandon, is going to be actually a negative just because we've seen, we talk about us playing on the show, and especially when the Suns lose games, that Shooting, especially from the three-point range, wins you games nowadays. And the Suns finished sub-30% over this two-game stretch here, going 29.5%. They shot only 10, 15% from three tonight, 16%. And that's just not going to really win you much games when you're doing that, especially. And just what's your thoughts, Brandon, on just like, especially like Aaron Baines. Like you try to run him as a stretch four on offense, and he's not hitting the threes at high volume. And it, I feel like it's just an over-reliance on guys like Baines right now, and even Ricky Rubio's taking a lot more shots out of rhythm from three-point range since Booker's not taking them much. You just got to keep the defenses honest here and then not attempting many many threes as, as we'd like. And I, I think hitting them at a sub-30% clip tells us a lot about that too. Yeah, I think it's a lot of things. I think it's Dario and, and Cam Johnson playing less. Those are the two of the best shooters on the team. I think it's obviously the main thing really is Booker – going through this cold stretch from three, despite his incredible overall efficiency and, and performance from the field, it's the threes aren't, aren't falling right now. And then that's, you know, your best shooter, not making them. That's obviously going to bring down your total efficiency, but I think it's the just really streakiness of, of Rubio, Baines and Ubre. I know they're all differing qualities of shooters, but still none of them are night to night reliable you saw Kelly after three straight games of incredible shooting comes back down to earth, especially during that comeback. He missed two or three um, that he, I mean, they had to take them. They had to be taking those shots if they were a little bit open because they were so far down, but missed all of them. I don't know if he hit a, a three in the whole fourth quarter. So um, just, I think the, the overall streakiness and then those guys not playing who can make them is just a recipe for uh, problems. But Along those same lines, I wanted to, to highlight one thing, too. First of all, DeAndre Ayton still not taking those shots. Um, I guess more on that later. I don't really know. But um, 12 of 25 from the field overall for DeAndre Ayton through these two games, that's 48% from the field. Got to shoot better than that. You can't be a 48% shooter at the five or the four, whatever we're going to call him. But as a big man in the NBA who's seven feet tall, you can't make 40% of your shots, 48% of your shots, especially if you're not going to take threes and especially if you're not going to get to the line. That's just a downright inefficient player at, at the end of the day. It doesn't matter how tall you are. 
Yeah, when your favorite jump shot or if your favorite shot is the mid-range jump shot from like a long two range, I just get the early 2000s, late 90s flashbacks of like a, a star player in the NBA. And I know, I'm not saying DeAndre is an outdated player, but just the style of play, if he's not going to get more. The way he's playing right now is. I mean, that's not, that's not out of line to say. He's not playing like an efficient modern big man by any means. And those guys don't play that way for a reason. It's not as efficient. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you just see, like, even if he's not going to start shooting those threes, I don't know if it's, he's not comfortable because Monty Williams said pregame that he has not told DeAndre not to shoot threes. So that's all on eight at this point. If he's not going to shoot threes, I mean, he's not comfortable with it, even though he said many times that he was very excited to unveil that three-pointer once he came back from suspension, and that hasn't happened, of course. Yeah, but, um, I, think there's a, I think there's a little bit of psychology going on with Aiton in terms of there have been times, especially after that Knicks game, uh, where he kind of seems to imply that it's part of the game plan for him to not shoot. He he kind of like gestured broadly around and said, you know, as, now that I'm doing so well inside, eventually they, these guys are going to let – he didn't say these guys are going to let me. He said, eventually maybe I can start shooting from outside and kind of like like looked around like these guys aren't letting me do it. He didn't say that, just to be clear. But uh, And then, yeah, I saw that Monty didn't – that Monty said – that he had not told Aiton specifically to not shoot. So I think there's a little bit of um, Aiton discomfort there and, and not exactly wanting to, to say that outright. Before we close up the show, Brennan, just wanted to emphasize here, just especially this Memphis loss tonight where they fell and it really just going down by 19 points. I know it's a valiant comeback effort again, but you were down by almost 20 points to a Grizzlies team that now you're behind in the standings officially. You're two in a, You've lost your last two games at Talks to Resort Arena to the Grizzlies. So you're now lost a tiebreaker. They're now a half game ahead in the standings of the Western Conference. This could be one of those losses. You look up, look back on Brandon in March or April and be like, this is the one of those games that if the Suns were actually going to be the eight or seventh seed in the Western Conference, these are the types of games you have to win. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, another opportunity, I guess, Tuesday against the Kings. That's another team. I know they've been in a little bit of a free fall lately, one and nine in their past ten, but that's you know every game is important now every game's been important all season with how much these teams have all been bunched up but especially right now with how much ground that they've lost you have if you're going to lose bad games don't let them be against your immediate playoff competition and like you said memphis has done it twice now again with a far less experienced team and a far uh to be to be frank less talented team i, I don't think they have the talent to stack up against the suns but they've come in to their building and done and they've done it twice now so uh definitely one that they will look back on and regret if there are a couple games outside the playoffs in in you know april may another interesting weekend for the phoenix suns to say the least here you have an impressive win over the knicks and comeback fashion and you have a really ugly loss once more to the memphis grizzlies where a lot of questions are now being asked about the Suns, and it's going to be a very interesting next month or so as we talk about on the show. As we get closer to this trade line, are the Suns going to have to make some moves here? What's the rotation really telling us about what they could be doing here in the future? Stay with us here on Locked on Suns. we be with you guys five days a week as we are throughout the season here. So appreciate everyone listening on today's podcast. We'll be back with you guys tomorrow for next episode.